The world around us is changing faster than ever before. Before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome Welcome. to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. This is Seema Vasu, your host of Data Gurus. I want to do a shout out to Paradigm Sample, which is one of the leaders in the online data collection space. Paradigm distinguishes itself with its relentless spirit to deliver unparalleled service, data quality, and reach. To learn more, please visit Paradigm's website at www.paradigmsample.com. This episode is especially important to me because we talk about fraud that's going on in the online world, uh, specifically in the data collection space. And we don't really give light to some of the solutions that are happening and the, and the critical thinking that's happening behind the scenes as it relates to trying to solve some of the challenges that we have. So this discussion is a little bit more technical, and I encourage everybody to listen to it because it gives you some insight as to where some of the challenges are, but also where progress is being made. I feel like so many times we're looking for a silver bullet to solve a particular problem. And time and time again, we are reminded that there's no silver bullet, but incremental work. And really, it's the grind of continuing to stay on top of what's happening in the market and trying to solve for some of these major issues. Take a listen. We have a real treat today on the podcast. I am joined here by not a very typical kind of profile of guests. We bring in more of the technical folks to the conversation and talk about some of the key issues that we're facing in our industry, specifically on the data collection side. And I also have a special treat in that I'm not going to be the one asking all the questions. My colleague, Steve, is going to facilitate the conversation today. Steve, welcome. Hi, Seema. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to forward this discussion. I'm Steve. I am the executive director of the Paradigm Innovation Lab, which deals with all things technology and the marriage of technology and operations and all other avenues throughout the company. I also am joined by two very themed guests, Vignesh Krishnan. And Vignesh, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Steve, for having us. My name is Vignesh. I'm the CEO and founder of SampleChain. And we're a software company focusing on quality and fraud management issues and market research. Thanks, Vignesh. And we are also joined by Alex Ledger of MarketCube. Would you like to introduce yourself as well, Alex? Yeah, absolutely. I'm very happy to be here. So I am the SVP of product at MarketCube. MarketCube helps out on a whole bunch of different things, technology, sample, and the like. So we have an interesting set of guests, as Seema mentioned. It's a little bit different than the typical Data Gurus podcast. So what we wanted to talk about today was a little bit about how a technology involves our interactions in data quality and respondent experience and all things around that and how the technology discussion shape our agenda on this front going forward. So to start off and frame this discussion, one thing that when we were having our discussions before this repair that stood out to me was, Vignesh, you made a point about the speed of our industry's ability to adapt to advancements technology being a lot quicker than we give it credit for. So 
want to give you a moment to elaborate on that a little bit because I found it very interesting. Yeah, sure. You know, first of all, I'm actually very bullish about the industry um, and, you know, we've been doing a lot of work in technology and APIs for the past few years. The point I guess we were talking about was that, you know, even as recently as let's say five or six years ago, I really don't remember any company, certainly not many companies doing any API delivery for sample, right? And I think today, if I'm not wrong, over 98 to 99% of all completes are being delivered via API, okay? And every single company that I know of, at least, is at least investigating machine learning in some form. It's at least using, you know, a big database to manage like high volumes of data in some form. So I certainly think we give ourselves a bad rap. We're probably not at the level of ad tech or finance, but if you, you know, look at it from a macro level, I certainly think that we at least make the attempt to embrace these technologies much sooner than other industries do. I was going to say, Vignesh, that's a really optimistic point of view because I think as an industry, we are pretty self-critical in terms of our progress to accelerate and adopt new technology. Yes, and that's very interesting because you know I saw the same as well. You know, obviously, I've uh, been in the industry for about eight years now, and I think we're very, very self-critical, and, and rightfully so. I think it's the standard to which you hold yourself up to. So yes, you know, are we as innovative or do we have the technology budgets that the finance and the ad tech people do? You know, I would say no, but I think we're very close and we definitely, you know, at least make the attempt to be aware of it, which I think it goes a long way itself. So with that noted, the more we know, the more that we innovate, the more I feel like that heightens responsibility that we have as innovators within the industry to be better about using the tech and the data that's available to us to ensure that we're doing right by both the companies who are doing the research that we're supporting, but also by to the respondents who fuel it. So it being the survey respondents, the people who are driving that actual research. And despite the rise of big data, online, mobile survey data, we still think that will prevail as a driver of research. And Vignesh, you made a point about that as well, if you would like to elaborate on that. Yeah, sure. At the end of the day, you know, as we you know, evolve as an industry, you know, one thing that we have to be very cognizant of is that you know, we are quite literally sitting on a gold mine. Because every other large data company can tell you what happened until this moment or this second or, you know, what happened yesterday or the week before. Whereas we can ask intent questions, you know, so what is this respondent or this group of respondents going to do tomorrow? Or what is their sentiment uh, going into the next, let's say, month or quarter or whatever it is? And as a result, I do think, you know, we do have a big responsibility. Like I said, I have seen a lot of investments into tech. And we continue to sort of, you know, make these investments, you know, make sure that we glean all of this data as it's coming through. So, you know, we are sitting on a gold mine. We've always said that. But now I think that there's bigger and greater technology investments and awareness going into that, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I think that industry models have lowered the barrier of entry into this space. And we are seeing more and more different players interact and source, you know, respondents for this type of data collection. And that really puts, I think, more pressure on us to be diligent about the uh, impact that these sources can have on the quality of survey data. So it almost forces us to be more diligent about that. Yes, 100%. So when we talk about data quality, and I think I'm going to kick this over to Alex a little bit, what are the different types of fraudsters that we talk about when we talk about fraud in, in survey data? Exactly. That's an interesting question. There's the ones on the sample side that we consider to be fraudsters, and then there's the ones on more of the client side and their interpretation. You can broadly group them into unorganized individuals. So, hey, I just have this 
survey I'm taking, I'm going to put in some fake answers, but it's not really a big deal in terms of our perspective. Then there's the organized humans who may be operating out of other countries, who may be using VPNs, who may be going really deep into the tech side of things so they can cheat. And then there's the third category of just bots. It's not actually a human, but it's just a machine doing itself, all of the cheating. So I'd call that the three different types. From the client perspective, though, it's just bad data that's produced in the system. Alex, the bots that we talk about, they are developed by humans, though, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's not Skynet. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And those are the people, the people who develop those bots, they clearly get benefit by getting all the incentives for populating surveys that aren't real answers. The reason I make a differentiation is uh, CAPTCHA, for instance. Yeah. Everybody knows that, and it's designed to go and capture if a human isn't trying to go and take the survey. So you can build a program that will click on links for you, but that program has a difficult time with things like CAPTCHA. It is interesting to note, though, and, and I've definitely seen this, is that some of the CAPTCHA you know, letters are getting harder and harder for even myself to read. Because I think some of the bots are, you know, quote unquote, learning as well. But, you know, the point being that, you know, we are always adding barriers and lifting the barriers, raising the barriers to only allow the humans in vis-a-vis the bots. So, you know, that's also interesting with that example. Yeah, Steve and I were talking about this yesterday. Even the pictures for like the CAPTCHA (laughs) are getting smaller and fuzzier. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess I'm curious from your perspectives. I mean, you guys are looking at this data we all are from different lenses. Is the progression of the bot activity increasing, decreasing? Like, what's your general sense of, you know, the root causes of fraud as it relates to bots? So I'll basically share what we've been seeing with our data set so far. You know, on one hand, there is some good news, which is that for the most part, the average that we see is relatively low. It's like 3 to 5% or 6%. But what happens is that every once in a while, whether it's on an hourly basis or on a survey basis, you get a huge spike, right? So it goes up to like 17 or 18%. And, you know, there are many theories for this, right? One is it goes back to the length of the survey versus the payout for the survey. If it's higher, then, you know, people want to obviously fake the earnings there. So I think on a macro level, to answer your question, Seema, it has been increasing. However, you know, there are ebbs and flows, of course, as with any process. And I think, you know, one of the things that we should be thinking about as a group collectively in the industry is to look at behavioral norms and make sure that when we are looking at these kinds of activities, we are making sure that the bots can only, you know, damage to a certain level, right? How much can we mitigate it? You know, how can we learn from each other? Make sure that, you know, if F- X company is attacked, how do we protect Y company and vice versa? Because I, I do think that this is one topic where we truly and really can all come together and talk about it. To take a different approach from what Vignesh is saying, there definitely comes in by hour, but it's also interesting to look at it by survey. The more difficult the survey becomes, the higher the bot rate is going to be. I think that's where we encounter a lot of the pain points in the sample industry. Uh, Once you're trying to find that 1% niche audience, you might exclude 99% of humans, but you may not exclude 99% of bots from that. So suddenly those become much more prevalent in these difficult surveys. And more difficult niche surveys are coming around these days as the cost of sample lowers and other factors. Yep. So I want to talk a little bit about just what we've been doing previously. We mentioned CAPTCHAs. Another industry standard has been to use a series of browser-based validation checks. 
And we've been living in this world. We're very familiar with what has been done to kind of mitigate, you know, duplication and location and all that. But I do want to take a moment to look back at these browser-based checks that have been pretty standard across the industry and talk about what some of those have been. Alex, do you want to take a stab at that? Yeah. So I think the term digital fingerprint, it's the idea that when a user accesses a site, they're actually sending across a lot of information. What's called the browser header, but basically it's just when you go through Chrome or Firefox and you go to a website, you need to go and tell the site enough information so that it gives you back the image you're looking for. For instance, if you're coming in on a phone, you want a much smaller compressed image. And if you're coming through on a desktop and have a big monitor, you want it to be more spread out. So the differences between that is that digital fingerprint. And you can use that to a degree. As long as, for instance, I keep accessing the internet and the site through the exact same setup on my machine, the data that's coming through is going to be relatively consistent. So that's one of the ways, because cookies are pretty easy to clear, but your setup, you generally don't clear as much. And do you think there's still going to be a place for these types of checks and the new stuff that we're going to do will complement these checks? Or do you think that these are going to be phased out altogether as a means of survey protection? (sighs) I always think it's uh, what audience are you trying to go and target? If you're just talking about the individual humans who are not acting in a cooperatively conspiratorial fashion, then yeah, these basic checks are awesome. I don't regularly use five different monitors. I have just one. So digital fingerprinting is perfect for most individuals. I think the new advanced ones that we're talking about and we're innovating for are to go and fight that different class of users, the ones who are sophisticated or the bots. So I think that's a good point to segue a little bit into the evolved type methods that we are planning on using going forward in the industry and the ones that we haven't thought of yet that you know we need to get towards. So what are some new techniques that you guys see being employed to mitigate fraud that build on top of these checks and get after that type of audience that you mentioned, Alex? I think, Vignesh, I want to start with you on this one. Yeah, sure. And, you know, here, one other sort of path that we are looking at is borrowing ideas from ad tech and and finance as well. And basically, you know, what I mean by that is a lot of those companies are now using, you know, behavioral metrics, normative metrics, longitudinal metrics. You know, a lot of our companies in our space, we use what are called like reconciliation rates or purge rates, scrub out rates. So our goal is to sort of make sure that that information is not lost. And it's actually, you know, funneled back in into our algorithms making sure that we are taking into account all of the data sets that exist, both during the survey experience, but also before and after as well, and tying them up together. And I think, again, like I said, looking at what the other industries are doing, the idea basically is to create a set of you know communication methods, APIs, whatever you want to call it, across different partners, so that it is really hard for an individual or a set of bots, let's say, to cheat the entire group. It's easier for them to, you know, cheat one specific part or one specific company, let's say. But if we collectively sort of bring the the power of the group or the wisdom of the group, then we have, you know, a much larger data set to work out of and better ways to see this fraud. And I think going back to the fact that I like to think we are pretty innovative because all of this would not have happened if we don't engage via APIs on an automated basis. So I think some of the advancements we have seen has also helped get some of these new 
technologies and behavioral metrics and norms and so on and so forth into the conversation. Vignesh, can you give one example of kind of taking the industry norm data or behavioral data and kind of break it down to what would that actually look like on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, absolutely. So I believe at the end of the month, or at least at the end of the survey, every single company in our space basically comes up with a scrub out rate or a reconciliation rate. Like, so respondents who basically did not do well in a given survey for whatever reason. In some cases, it could be that, you know, they basically just answered gibberish, or it could be that they were invited for a B2B survey, but they do just fine on a Coca-Cola survey or on a Nike survey, which is a B2C survey. So the goal here would be to get that knowledge, get that information, and basically collectively use it so that the next time we are aware that, hey, as this person comes in, he or she might have somewhere in the set of API chain might have been invited to a B2B survey, but we know that their performance is you know, so-so. So why don't we use that opportunity to take them elsewhere? Because keep in mind that a lot of you know, what we may define as fraud or, or just poor data may also be on the algorithm choosing the wrong kinds of surveys for the people, as opposed to them being bad actors, as it were. So that's one example. But of course, we can add other things like, you know, sources from this specific region who are maybe trying to attack company X, why don't we protect company Y with that information? And then vice versa. You know, like I said, I think quality is not a zero sum game. It is something that we can all, you know, expand the pie with. So that's kind of some of the examples. Thank you. That helps. It's basically not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, right? It's being able to really optimize a person for the right survey, the right experience, but doing it on an industry-wide basis versus at it in your own universe. Yeah, correct. So what role do you guys see the human element playing in this equation as technology becomes better at identifying these things? Where does the human interaction come in and add value? Well, I guess to make a pop culture reference, so I'm not sure if you've watched Legion, but they had a great scene in where they showed that humans are great at pattern matching and to go and find distinctions. So if we see a big jungle in front of us, our brains have evolved to this point where we can just spot out that one purple flower in the middle of it and say, oh, that's weird. <laughs> I think even as our machine learning becomes better at this, we can still use our brains as well to go and say, hey, did we miss the forest for the trees or vice versa? We still have to go and use some of our street intelligence besides just the machine intelligence. Yes, I totally agree with that. I think that, you know, at the end of the day, technology as it is with machine learning, artificial intelligence, you know, whatever you want to call it, is all driven to make us stronger, right? So it's our goal should be and continues to be to basically lift and, you know, carry that asset and then point it, you know, towards our success as much as possible. So completely agreed with, with all of what Alex just said. Excellent. Now I want to move into the respondent experience a little bit. And to kind of tie into that, Alex, you made a point before about getting real people into surveys is dependent on the survey experience really being an equitable value proposition for them. Because at some point, if the experience is off, then the only parties that it becomes equitable for are those bots who don't really care about their experience. So I do want to elaborate on that a little bit. And before we do, I'm just curious, what are your guys' thoughts on the relationship of finding the sweet spot between CPI, so cost per interview, and um, the incentive that the respondent gets, and quality? To me, that's just the most interesting one. I think the worst case scenario that you could come up with for a respondent experience is to have a really long survey, 40 to 60 minutes, that's incredibly difficult to take, 
and it has a high payout. Because at that point, you really want to get to the end of it, but you're just taunted. It's like uh, trying to win the lottery. You're not going to get there. And then it's the absolute best for the bots because the bots don't feel that frustration. They don't feel the temptation. They just know, oh, here's a good possibility. If I make it a million attempts, I'll probably get this 10, 15 times. And it doesn't require extra real work for them. It's just, they're just electrons. Yeah, totally. I agree as well, because at the end of the day, we all know that our attention spans have become shorter. You know, we use mobile devices, we take surveys on the go. And I think that is a very important balance to meet, right? As with every variable, you have to find the balance between the length of interview, the cost per click or, or whatever the metric is, because otherwise you may start incentivizing bad actors. And by the way, we have seen that happen as well. So that's not theoretical. That's very, very true. Absolutely. So we mentioned earlier that part of our responsibility to our respondents is to use technology to help us uncover what a good survey experience looks like, what it is, and then what types of opportunities are best fit for the right respondents. And Alex, you touched a little bit on machine learning. How can machine learning help with this and why is it so valuable? So this is where if we could actually have enough humans to review each and every survey, that would be ideal. But given that there's just so many quantitative surveys coming through, literally thousands or tens of thousands or even more in a week, the machine learning can help us to sort them into broad piles. So we can say, hey, I've seen a survey that looks like this before and it didn't perform well. So let's put that on lower priority and maybe not give that to as many people. But this other survey has all the factors that make a really good survey based upon looking at 10, 100, or even more data points. So those ones that look really well, we can prioritize, have a better response experience, and weed out some of the ones that just have all the markings of a survey that's going to be a bad experience. Excellent. And how exactly, for our listeners, do the machines know what to look for? I think this is where a human element really does come into play because we're the ones who are choosing which of those factors are important. For instance, I think LOI might be a no-brainer. If a survey is supposed to have an LOI of five minutes, that's a much better factor than if it's supposed to have 40 minutes. But then what if it asks for income? Or what if it asks for ethnicity? Are those factors that are good or bad? Is that noise? Should we include that? So it's sort of sorting out which factors the machine's going to take in the first place. That's defined by us, right? That's defined by people and understanding the respondent experience and then telling them to, to sort through it. Yes. Yeah, correct, Sima. And the one thing I'll add, you just said is also that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, machine learning is basically just regression analysis, right? You're feeding it a certain set of inputs. And like you said, you know, we, the humans choose those inputs. And then based on those inputs, we see the results. And obviously, we want to go with the good results. Of course, you know, I think there are some nuances with unsupervised learning. I think in that case, what happens is, the machine like basically takes in hundreds of or 200 different inputs and then tries to come up with an output. But nevertheless, our human intuition is always going to be ahead of that because we understand consultatively when speaking to clients, when speaking to you know partners, you know colleagues, and so on and so forth, information that the market is taking into account. And we then have to have the responsibility of helping push that back into the math, as it were. Great. So to close the loop on this, machine learning then is telling us what are good opportunities, what are bad opportunities, what do respondents like, not like. What can we do as innovators in this space to make it better? And do we think it's getting better? Has it been getting better over the past few years? 
So generally speaking, yes, I do, you know, like I said, optimistic about the industry. I think we've seen a lot of growth certainly this year. I mean, the years past as well, we have definitely innovated, taken it to a point where, you know, I think the majority of the surveys are now mobile devices and it's just happening, right? There's nothing basically to quote unquote talk about. So in that context, I will say that a lot of the technology ebbs and flows as well. So what I mean by that is as we had a more dynamic ecosystem wherein we moved from double opt-in panels to single opt-in panels, or in some cases now, you know, it's non-opt-in because you're having an experience on the internet, basically, and then you get invited to take a survey. How do we manage that? So that is a good thing because it explodes the, you know, amounts of surveys that we can run. It basically, the amounts of data that we can collect in any given time is huge at that point, but it does open up, you know, holes and barriers where, or lowers barriers where people can come in and there could be fraudulent actors or people, you know, trying to take advantage of the system or whatever it is. So I do think it ebbs and flows, but directionally, I absolutely think that we're going in the right direction based on the investments, you know, into machine learning, which you both just talked about right now, but also other technology as well. So absolutely. Alex, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, just to play off of what Vignesh is saying, I do think the industry is going in a better direction. At the same time, I really like how critical we are the more that we do self-introspection, the more that we feel that it's a necessity for us to improve as opposed to a nice to have. I think that keeps us in the right mindset. The necessity is the mother of invention. We're going to find an answer because we need it. And I think it's important not to lose sight of how this affects real respondents. So let's keep trying. Even if we succeeded, we still need to try harder. I completely agree with that. And also I'd say we're all of us in this industry must believe it will get better and it will continue to get better and our industry will thrive. Otherwise, you know, what are we doing? Absolutely. And as with any company, we all know that like, we really need to invest, whether it's in people or in technology. And I think that basically ties back to your point, Seema, which is about trying and making sure we make those investments. So I think this all ties in nicely to my last point that I wanted to reach today. And that is, how do we, our companies as innovators, hold ourselves accountable to this? So Vignesh, I want to start with you. What drives you? and hold you accountable towards pushing towards these ideals? Yeah, so that's a very philosophical question, but I'll try to answer it. But, you know, I do think that as whether it's, you know, senior folks in a company or any folks in a company, I think we've all heard of the phrase, you know, death by a thousand cuts, but I also think we can have victory by a thousand cuts, right? So, you know, you push one inch every day, you make the respondent experience a little bit better, you include, you know, scrub rates, you make sure that you invite them to the B2C surveys and not the B2B surveys and so on and so forth. And I think if we all make those investments, and we have been, we can see that now, you know, you don't have to wait until Monday morning to launch a survey. I remember working with Alex back in, let's say, 2010, we had to get a survey out for a movie tracker, which would run over the weekend. We had a window of, you know, I think it was 8 p.m. on Friday night, central time. And if we missed that, that was it. We were done. You couldn't, you know, do anything about it, right? You had to wait for the next one. And I think that has gone away, right? That problem has gone away. And it has been incremental. And I think we just need to be aware of the investments that we make into technology, into talent management. And if we make those things go forward, I think that we'll continue to, to see great success, which I feel we have been seeing in the last, you know, let's say 10 years. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's back in the day we were saying, okay, the APIs are just going to replace the humans. We won't need as many PMs or operational staff. But I think it means that instead of just working harder, we can work smarter. So, for instance, my team has daily, weekly, monthly meetings where we go and keep track of some of our KPIs, and those include human elements. How is this experience converting for folks? How many complaints are we getting? 
and also then how are we proceeding with the business. So rather than putting up APIs and putting down staff, we're instead adding more and more people each day to go and help us to make these experiences better. How can we map these? How can we go and weed out bad surveys? How can we get out the bad actors? I think it just means that we need to not give up the fight. Yeah, absolutely. And I can speak on the paradigm perspective. I mean, though we are all super virtuous in our roles and always trying to uphold the standards of quality for respondents, for clients, and for people all across the board, it's easy for us to get lost in the weeds of the technology and just excited about what we're building, what we're doing, and ways to make the tech more fortified. And what we believe in here is just running a tightly collaborative environment between all executive stakeholders down to the project managers, the bidding teams, everybody in the company. And for me, it comes down to just talking to as many people as possible, both internally and externally, about what they value, about their experiences, and just overall about making sure that everything that we're building is equitable for, for all parties. Yeah, it's interesting. I've done so many of these podcasts and, you know, we talk about technology and we talk about acceleration. We talk about big data, the common theme. And I have to say, I'm not as surprised anymore because I think I've accepted this and it's so obvious, but it's about people and it's about empowering people. It's about being curious. It's about collaboration because that's really, you know, we are all going to have more time. And to what Alex said, it's, you know, we got to train ourselves. We got to continue to evolve. We got to continue to learn through the team, through, you know, again, what Steve said in terms of collaboration, then irrespective of quote unquote hierarchy, or if you're a competitor or if you're a partner, but we work together to kind of make everything move towards progress. Yeah, I agree, Tim. I completely agree. It's absolutely not a zero-sum game by any means, right? Even when we are looking at completes and so on and so forth, certainly on the quality space, but generally speaking, in terms of servicing client needs, I definitely agree with you that it is not zero-sum and, you know, we all kind of, you know, rise together. So that's definitely important for us. Well, you guys all get, like, the award for being very optimistic. (laughs) 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 No, I believe in realistic optimism. And I think a lot of what we've just talked about is that, right? Like, you have to have the mindset to make things happen. But then there's a ton of hard work that has to go with it. Absolutely. All right. Well, Alex, Vignesh, thank you both for your time. This is a really interesting discussion about quality and about technology and how we're using technology to do all the right things. You know, there are so many ways that you can use technology for wrong. And, you know, being responsible about what we're doing with the technology we're building, I think is the most important thing because at the end of the day, this needs to be valuable experience for our clients, for our, our respondents, and to use what we're doing to answer the right research questions and to make sure that the right people are answering the right questions. That's what this is all about. Yep, 100%. You know, like I said, everything, you know, has been going well so far and we look forward to sort of being in touch with you guys as well. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for the time here. Thank you. So this episode was a lot more technical than normal. And, you know, again, it was to shed some light as to specific work that we're doing as an industry, or at least a flavor. There's so much, so many people doing a lot of good things to try to solve for the increased fraud in our industry. And also thoughts about our role as humans as it relates to technology and our responsibility. These guys were incredibly optimistic about our industry and it's so refreshing to see that. And as we evolve, I do believe that we all have to continue to work together and share best practices to ultimately evolve as an industry. 
I do wonder if we can evolve to a model where we can potentially eliminate the heavy need for incentives and try to crack another value proposition for people to participate that will not attract bot and fraudulent behavior. We will see, but hopefully sometime in the near future, we'll change that value equation as well. Thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.